0: Thank you, Lewis, for reading for us uh, one of the most important passages from the New Testament that talks about the descent and ascent of Jesus. I mentioned that last week. If you were here, you might remember uh, that is the passage that describes the path that Jesus took of leaving heaven, dwelling among us, giving himself completely before returning to his place. Um, thank you, Jesse, for reminding us, where did you go? There you are, um, that, that God loves us anyway. Uh, no matter what we have done, no matter who we are or where we have come from, uh, that is how big God's love is. It's a musical way of saying what uh, Philippians said uh, that, uh, that Lewis just read for us. Um, thank you to Anne for taking the leap of faith to just jump up here and do a little bit of drumming. This is the first time she's done it here. So thank you for being courageous and lending a little bit of percussion to our, to our worship. Um, that, that, was, that was really cool. And um, um, Deb, I'm wondering, should we clarify where your dad is? I mean, his name is Claire. He's in Saginaw. I know, I heard that and I thought, that doesn't sound quite right. Okay, so Deb Kennedy's dad's name is Claire uh, and he's at the VA hospital in Saginaw, uh, just so you know, uh, oriented where, where all of that is. Very good. It's good to be in the Lord's house with you today. Uh, let's take a moment now just to, um, to, to relax and settle into God's presence. Um, if there's something on your mind that has been occupying your thoughts through the course of this service, that's probably something to pay attention to. Um, and perhaps God is trying to uh, help focus your thoughts or help focus your reflections on that particular part of your life. Um, but in this moment, we're going to try to uh, see what the Lord has to say about those kinds of thoughts, those kinds of ideas. Um, this is, uh, the, the sermon is a time for us all to listen to what God has to say to us. Um, about those things that are most important in our lives and in this world. So I'd invite you just to take a moment to quiet your heart and ask God's presence to be in this place. Lord Jesus, in the stillness of our hearts, we come before you and ask for you to make yourself known to us this day. Help us to be aware of your presence and to know your love, which knows no end. And as we reflect on uh, a a meaningful and beautiful passage of scripture today, help us to, um, to see you clearly and to know how you are leading us, how you would have us to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our sermon text is found in the gospel according to Luke chapter 19. Verses 28 through 40. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives... The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, Rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In about two weeks time from now, A new movie will be coming out and breaking all sorts of box office records. It is the next in the unending series of Avengers movies called Avengers Endgame. How many of you, be honest, are looking forward to Avengers Endgame? I see those hands. That's wonderful. Thank you. Very good. Uh, This is kind of the long-awaited sequel or follow-up to Avengers Infinity War. And... um, I feel like I won't hurt your feelings if I spoil a little bit of what happened at the end of Infinity War, because if you've seen it, you know what the end is, and if you haven't seen it, you probably don't mind me spoiling that. Anybody? Re- okay. Um, one of the reasons that Avengers: Infinity War was such a powerful movie was how it ended, because it ended with kind of the ultimate cliffhanger in which all of these superheroes from all of these different parts of the world had, and other worlds, whatever, had combined their forces to try to fight the bad guy, as you do. But at the end, they didn't win. The bad guy won. And even worse than that, I don't know how he did this, we don't really understand it, we'll hopefully find out in a couple of weeks' time. About half of all of those super, superheroes, all, half of all of the good guys just vanished into thin air. They were, it's like they were erased from existence. Just gone. It's very sad. <laughs> and, and you could feel in the theater, if you ever saw it in the theater, there was a, there's, there's an emotional reaction that people had to this, where their favorite, their favorite hero, one after another after another, just kind of drifted away just completely gone. And it was a remarkable experience for me to realize people are really tied into these characters. And since that time, people have been waiting for this next one to come out because we hope that things will be made right somehow. And our, our cultural narrative has to be fulfilled. You see, we have a cultural narrative that is at work in almost all of our stories, whether they're in movies or in scripture, or in our own lives, and that is that the good guy wins in the end. Good beats evil. Sometime, eventually. It might not be now, it might not be in our lifetimes, but if you wait long enough for the next movie to come out, good will win over evil. I said that's how we view scripture. That's how we approach scripture, and I think that's true. I'm not here to talk about Avengers movies. I'm here to talk about Scripture. I generally believe that we think the same thing about Jesus, that good wins over evil. Of course we do, right? We are here on Palm Sunday, which is the day that Jesus enters into Jerusalem in triumph. And this begins a sequence of events uh, that, that takes uh, less than a week. Within a week, Jesus will be killed. He will be crucified on Good Friday, the day that we call Good Friday, the uh, day after the Passover meal. And then on Easter Sunday, you see how, quickly it is, how easy it is for us to go right to the win. On Easter Sunday, we will celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. We don't even have a Sunday to contemplate that Jesus died. We're here on Celebration Sunday, and then next time we meet, it'll be the next Celebration Sunday. Our cultural narrative keeps pushing us toward the victory. Yeah, Jesus dies, but on the third day, he rises from the dead. Uh, yeah, we have trouble in this life. We live in a world that's full of hardship. But um, you know how the gospel song goes. I've read the back of the book, and we win. You heard that one before? Uh, it's a Gaither song. You might have heard. Uh, it, we we always look toward that final, whatever, the final victory. I, I'd like for us to slow down a little bit, though. There's There's something important for us to learn in the middle of all of this. Life is not all about winning. I attended a conference this week, a a web conference. I was actually just in my office, but there were people from around the country who were watching it with me. And uh, one of the presenters was a Cuban-American theologian named Miguel de la Torre. And he reminded us that we tend to move too quickly From Good Friday to Easter Sunday, we skip over that Saturday that's in between because we are so used to winning. We're so used to victory. Our cultural narrative is about things working out in the end, getting what is good. But we know that life just isn't like that. We know that life doesn't always reward us for making good choices. We know that life is hard. Sometimes we live in that Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and it seems like Easter Sunday will never show up. Sometimes our heroes die unexpectedly, even tragically. People have always had a hard time digesting that reality. But it's the reality that describes who Jesus is. Jesus is this long-awaited Messiah. Luke is very deliberate in telling the story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. This is a journey that Jesus has been on for ten chapters, for half of the book of Luke up to this point. And now that he is on the precipice of entering into Jerusalem, Luke is very deliberate about describing how it happens so that we will pick up on all of these clues that say that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the one that we have been waiting for. They're not just accidental details in the story. They're structured very specifically so that we will pick up on some of the Old Testament references that point forward to the coming of the one who will make all things Right, In particular, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah, next to last book of the Old Testament, uh, writes toward the end of his prophecy that the day of the Lord is coming, that God is coming to rescue his people. God will fight against the attacking nations and stand on the Mount of Olives, where Luke's story takes place, He will stand on the Mount of Olives, there will be a huge earthquake, the land will divide along a line east to west, and the land will part south to north, and then the reason for that is so that the people of Jerusalem can escape through that valley, and then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. It's an amazing vision that Zechariah had. Few chapters before that, in Zechariah 9, he writes, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey, a new colt, in other words, that has never been ridden. That's what Luke noted here. And this king will proclaim peace. To the nations, he will rule with his his rule will extend from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. You can even dial all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis itself. Uh, Toward the end of Genesis, Jacob, um, another name Israel for Jacob, uh, Jacob is blessing all of his sons before he dies. And he takes all of his 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, and blesses them mostly in a bunch of different ways. He doesn't bless all of them. It's kind of interesting. But uh, Judah in particular, he does bless. And Judah is the ancestor of many important people like David and Jesus, and a lot of others that you probably have heard of too, but those two are very important, of course. And Israel, Jacob, blesses Judah and says, the scepter will not depart from Judah. There will always be a king from the line of Judah. But what's interesting is that Judah's heir in in Jacob's blessing, the heir of Judah is wealthy. He washes his clothes in wine. Talk about extravagant. (laughs) who has wine laying around to to do your laundry in, right? This is amazing wealth that he has, and he has power over his enemies. He ties up, this is what Jacob says, he ties up his own donkey to a vine, to a branch, to a tree. Now all of that is sort of fulfilled in an anti-fulfillment sort of way by Jesus. Jesus is not wealthy, He does not wash his clothes in wine. In fact, soon his clothes will be stained with his own blood. And he does not exert power over his enemies like Judah did, or the heir of Judah was prophesied to do. He sacrifices himself to his enemies. And he does not have a, he doesn't even own his own donkey to tie up like Judah's heir did. He has to go borrow somebody else's donkey. See, all of these details are meant to cue in our collective memory these, these ideas of someone coming. Someone is coming to make things right, but it's not what you expect. This is a celebration of Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem, and it looks like a, a festive religious celebration. But it's more than that. It is a coronation. Palm Sunday is the coronation of Jesus as king. There is a destination in mind where Jesus will be enthroned as king. And at this crucial moment, at this final stage of his journey, Jesus is surrounded by people who recognize him as their long expected king and messiah. But not everybody in the story is at peace with this situation. It would be a wonderful celebration if we stopped at verse 38 and didn't get to the Pharisees. Those pesky Pharisees, they keep showing up. They have been opposed to Jesus all along. Almost all of them, some of them have been faithful to Jesus, but most of them have been obstacles to his ministry, questioning his authority, questioning his right to break the Sabbath law and reshape things in different ways. According to his understanding of the kingdom of God, who does he think he is the son of God, but the Pharisees at this last stage, actually, this is the final time that they appear in Luke's gospel. They're not named anywhere else after this in Luke. And the last word that they have is, Master, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Because these disciples are celebrating Jesus as the King. The King. The long-awaited Messiah that they had been hoping for. And the Pharisees just cannot stomach it. Because their hero... Their superhero, the one that they were waiting for, was not to be that kind of guy. Their hero is one that they should be able to control, the one who meets their expectations, not one who's going to evaporate into thin air at the end of act three of the movie. Jesus is not the Pharisees' kind of hero. Yes, he rides into Jerusalem. Yes, he fulfills their hopes for a future Messiah. Yes, he is the king of the universe arriving for his coronation, but his coronation will not take place with him seated on a throne. Instead, his enthronement will take place when he is hung on a cross. That is Jesus's throne. That is where he rules from a position of utter and complete weakness. Here comes the king, and he comes to give his life out of love for the world. He is king of the universe. All creation will cry out in praise of this king. Jesus says that if his followers stop shouting, then the stones will cry out. And this is reminiscent of Jesus' predecessor, John the Baptist, who said uh, early in Luke's gospel that God could form out of the stones children for Abraham. God doesn't need all of the people that are around. He can make followers out out of the stones if he wants to. Can you imagine being a stone on that path on the Mount of Olives? Now, this is a bit of a stretch. Stones are just stones, right? They don't not trying to anthropomorphize stones or anything like that, but can you, if Jesus is Lord of all creation, can you imagine being a stone? Stones just sit there unless they're moved by somebody. And they watch as generations go by. Stones last a long time, right? Not here today and gone tomorrow. They see year after year after year go by. Generation after generation passes by. And then one day, if you're a stone on the path, on the Mount of Olives, on the way down and up to Jerusalem, a descent and ascent. Here comes the king of the universe. This is no ordinary day. Here comes the one who made you. Here comes the one to whom all creation belongs, here comes the one who is on his way to be killed by the ones that he made. If you had a voice, could you keep yourself quiet if you were a stone on the path of the Mount of Olives? Would you not be bursting forth to celebrate this one, to say with the disciples, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The king does not come in my name or in fulfillment of my desires or wishes. He comes in the name of the Lord, in God's name. And this king comes in an, in, on a journey of self-sacrifice, of Abandonment of power, of release of control, a journey of humiliation and weakness and torture and defeat and loss. The way Jesus reveals his ultimate power, his lordship, his authority over all things is by pouring himself out, emptying himself, giving himself away. We like to have a hero that meets our expectations of what a hero should look like. Captain Marvel is going to come and make everything right. And we might not get all of our heroes back, but what's-his-name is going to get it in the end. What's-his-name? I can't even remember right now. Thanos, right? His name means death in Greek, right? He's, you're with me. This is good. <laughs> He's going he's gonna to get it. We love to have a hero that way. But Jesus is not that kind of hero. He is so much more than we could ever expect. Our job is not to domesticate or tame Jesus or make him fit our expectations. Our job is not to speed through the cross to get to the empty tomb. The empty tomb will come soon enough. And everything will change because of that reality, because Jesus comes back to life. But for now, at this moment of coronation, our job is to celebrate the kingship of Jesus and then to accompany him on his self-sacrificial journey. And this is where we are different from the stone on the path on the side of the Mount of Olives. The Stone stays there. The king goes by, the stone stays there. But the followers of Jesus follow him. They go with him into Jerusalem. They imitate Jesus by pouring themselves out for the sake of others. They obey Jesus' command to believe and repent. They wash the feet of their neighbors as Jesus did. They demonstrate their posture of servanthood and mutual love. The stone can't do those things. But we as people of God can. In fact, the least that we can do is praise God together. It's the very least that we can do to come together and worship the king of all creation, joining with all nature in manifold witness to God's great faithfulness, mercy, and love. But we are called to do more than just worship. We are called to follow Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. We are called to sit and listen as he teaches in the temple. We are called to allow him to wash our feet We are called to eat the bread and drink the wine, which he says are his body and his blood. We are called to pray with him right back on this very Mount of Olives, right next to that stone one more time. As Jesus prays, agonizes and finally accepts his call to die and then is betrayed to the authorities. We are called to walk with Jesus into the Sanhedrin where the religious leaders will interrogate Jesus and ask him why he claims to be God. We are called to walk with Jesus into the courtroom of Pilate, the Roman governor, who questions why this man is causing such a disruption in this region. We are called to stand with Jesus as he endures mocking and scorn and abuse and mistreatment pain and agony and isolation, we are called to be with Jesus when he forgives the people who nail him to the cross because they don't know what they're doing. We are called to accompany Jesus all the way to his final breath. And perhaps with our final breath, we can say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. invite you to write yourself a note today to that effect just with that phrase blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord put that down on a piece of paper and stick that piece of paper in a spot where you will find it at an unusual time this week maybe in your wallet or in your purse or on your visor on your in your vehicle you lower the visor and there it is blessed is the one who comes Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And when you find that note this week, use it as a reminder that Jesus is the king of the universe, even in the midst of our busyness and our distractions and our quests for control and personal fulfillment and our sadnesses and our trials. And then each day as you find this note, ask yourself, How you will imitate that king today. How will you praise God by imitating the one who comes in the name of the Lord? How will you give yourself away in imitation of this king? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. How can we possibly imitate him in some small way? Let that be a guiding thought for you this week. As we walk through holy week together. Would you join me in prayer? God, we give you thanks. For this story of grand enthronement and coronation. The people recognizing. Well, most of the people recognizing that you are king. Help us to recognize that you are king. Give us eyes to see how you are at work in this world. Give us hearts that are soft and willing to be molded by you and help us to pour ourselves out so that the world may know that you are king. And when Easter Sunday comes next week, help us to celebrate, but help us not to rush ahead while we live in that Saturday in between. Give us grace, Lord, we pray, in the strong and powerful name of Christ our Savior. Amen.